Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, we're, we're glad that uh, you're here today, and we're excited to be right in the middle of the series called Antiques Roadshow. So no guessing what today is all about. We're, we're getting into the story of, of Noah and the ark, and I'm guessing that by this little preview that you see now, you're probably already thinking that's a little bit different to how I saw it in Sunday school. In fact, I pulled out a children's book today that, um, or when was it, a Youth on Friday Night. I was chatting with Mark about it. And I said, I hadn't even looked inside, and I said, Mark, I guarantee you what we're going to see is a little boat, and the animals will be smiling, because animals could smile in the Old Testament. There'll be a little rainbow and lots of butterflies to make it look really happy. And Noah and then his family are going into the ark. And when you hear Noah and the ark, I'm pretty sure that is the picture that you get in your mind. Am I right? I think I, think I am. And so when you see something like this, you suddenly realize, hang on, there's a little bit more to, to the story than what I think... I understand it to be. And so that's what we're going to get into in a little bit today. But before we get into that, just to make sure we're all on the same page, two weeks ago we began the series called Antiques Roadshow. Any of you who have seen the show on TV know that what it's about is people bring a lot of their things that they don't know whether it's, it's junk or they think it's valuable or things that they have lying around the house and they bring it to these people who evaluate it and then they let them know, well, I'll tell you what, this is worth, you know, 20 rand or this is worth 20 million rand. And if you watch the show, you'll see sometimes there are some incredible gems that come out of the back of someone's garage. It's just, it's, it's the craziest thing. So we decided we want to do a series called Antiques Roadshow because we know that there are some things from our past. And when I say our past, I mean we believe that we are God's people and we look back into, into the, the scriptures and we look all the way back into the Old Testament and we see some things from, from our past, though we aren't Jews and those we, though we aren't part of Israel, those were God's people back in the day. And the first thing we looked at was Noah's sling. Uh, Noah's sling. He broke his arm that one time, so he had a sling. It was, a, it was David's sling. And though the sling on its own probably wasn't worth very much, even in its day, today if you could prove it was actually his sling, it probably would be worth something. What that sling stood for, though it was small and though it was insignificant, was an incredible amount of strength that came through the man of, of David or the boy of David. And so when we've been looking at these, these things, we've been looking at not only what the actual antique is, we've been looking at the characters that surround the story that make up you know, what the story is that we read in the scriptures, but we're not even so concerned about the characters or a little bit about the story, but mostly really about God. Because God is really at the center of all these stories. And so throughout this series, we're asking ourselves, what does this teach me about God? And what does this teach me about my relationship with Him? And so we looked at David and the sling, and we realized that that was about extreme courage. And it came back to what David valued, and he valued the reputation of God. And so last week, we looked at the, the nation of Israel as they came to the Jordan River and realized there was no way on their own they would ever be able to cross it. But God says to them, take the Ark of the Covenants, and when the priests walk, now think about this, they actually had to walk into the river, and as their feet touched it, God stopped the river way upstream, and they were able to cross. And so the antique that we looked at last week were the 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, and the memorial that they made, the, the thing that they put in place so that their children, when they asked, why, why are those stones there, they would tell them about the faithfulness of God, and when they saw it, they would remember what God did. So that was the antique from last year, uh, from, from last week, and we asked ourselves, what is it that we sometimes forget? And the reality is sometimes is we just forget God and what He's done for us in sending His Son to die on the cross. And so we shared the Lord's table, 
And that was our own memorial that we had there that time. But today we're going to look at Noah, and we're going to look at his life, and we're going to look at the boats. So I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to be reading as much of this narrative as we can. I mean, I can't tell the story as well as, as Moses did when he wrote this down, and God told him what to write. So we're going we're gonna to read it, but what I'm reading is going to be up on the screen. It might be easier for you to follow along, but I'm not going to be there yet. I want to set up the story for you just so we kind of get a picture as to what's going on in the life of Noah in the days that he built the ark. So our story takes place 1,656 years after creation. You say, how do you know that, Dan? Well, the simplest way to do it is to take the genealogies, that is a story from Adam to Noah, which is put right before you in Genesis chapter 5, and add the dates up, and you'll get around 1,656 years. Now, immediately when I figured that out, I realized this happened a lot longer after the creation of of Adam and Eve and and mankind and everything else. So you think about it. In 1,656 years, there has been time for mankind to populate the earth and begin forming tribes and then eventually towns and then spreading out all over the earth. In fact, try, try to get this into your brain. People have said there weren't just hundreds of people. There weren't just thousands of people, possibly even millions or billions of people. And so let me read this to you. Uh, If you number a generation by 35 years, calculate the average family at having four children. In only 20 generations, there would be 3.15 million people on earth. And that's calculated based on what happens today in, in, in our day and age and how population growth happen over time. Add another 10 generations and you would have 3.2 billion people on earth. And in 1,656 years, the time between creation and the flood, there would be 47,000, sorry, 47.31 generations. What they're trying to say is there'd be well over 3.2 billion people on earth. In fact, if you were to carry on with these guys' calculations, you would probably get to the same population that we have on the earth today. And that blew my Sunday school brain because in my mind, it was Noah and his family and he had a big garage because he could build a big boat and he would build this boat and, and there would be like a hundred people maybe and they would come and talk to Noah about this boat. And that's all the people that were on the earth. That's how I understood the story to be. But here's how God describes it. He says there are all these people on the earth. When mankind had begun to populate the earth 1,656 years after creation, When he looked down and he saw this mass of humanity, this is how the Bible describes him, as wicked, as depraved people, only doing evil in the sight of God. So we've got the entire world populated by all these people. And when God looks down, he sees evil all the time in the hearts and the minds of mankind. And so we're going to pick up our story in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. And this is what it says. The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had made man on earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God looks down on the earth, And he sees what's going on, and the Bible says that he is grieved. Now, it's kind of interesting 
that when you read this, you realize you're actually not just peering into the heavenly decision of what was going on around that time. You're peering into the, the heart of God. The scriptures record for us something that happens in the heart of God. We understand what it's like to be grieved and to be extremely sad and just to be completely depressed about a situation and not know what to do. The Bible says that the heart of God was grieved when he looked at who? His creation, mankind. And he looked down on them and he was just, he was just completely, he was completely grieved by these people that he saw except for this one man. But now try and think how bad things had to be in that day. Because back in the beginning of creation, when God made Adam and Eve, he made a man and a woman who, who knew each other perfectly, who knew him. There was, there was nothing that was between them. There was no sin. And yet what they did was deliberately violate God's one rule that he gave them. Deliberately violated it. So you would think that if God was going to wipe out the world, he would wipe out the very first sin and the very first people. There were only two of them. Surely that would be easier. But in his patience, he let them live. He let Adam and Eve live. And 1,656 years later, the earth is populated by millions, even billions of people. Imagine the sin that was going on in the lives of everyone in that day for God to say, I'm not going to wipe just two people out. I'm going to wipe everyone out. That's how grieved God's heart was. You think he looked down on them and he went, I just don't like them anymore. This is an easy decision for me. No. This is the creation made in the image of God. And he looks down and he goes, even for their own good, I'm going to wipe them out. Because they are a wicked generation who do evil only all the time. But there's a guy called Noah. And he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we continue to read. This is what it says in, in verse 9. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Don't even think about it, cursed. Now the earth was corrupt. <laughs> Lucky we're having a daughter. This <laughs> would be awkward. Ham, come here. Um, lunchtime would be difficult. Um, now <laughs> the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all people on the earth had corrupt. Uh, had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Now imagine if we didn't know the condition of the earth at this time and what mankind was like and how bad everyone was. Imagine if all we knew was the accounts of what, how, how God describes Noah. God was a righteous man, blameless among his, his generation, and he walked with, with God. I don't know about you, but if, if God were to describe me, I think, that's, I think that's pretty close to how I'd want it to sound. God looks down and he sees Noah and he recognizes this guy completely different to everyone else. And so knowing how bad things were in those days where God, the creator, was grieved by his creation to the point he says, I'm going to wipe all of you out. Noah then stands up and God is scanning the earth and he's looking for this one man. Maybe there's one righteous man and he knows him and his name's Noah. And he's a righteous man. He's blameless amongst his generation. He walks with God. When we say righteous, we mean this, that he is literally right with God. What he does is good in the eyes of God. Good by God's standards. Not good by the standards of what is going on in the world around him. Good in the eyes of, of God. And so God sees this righteous man. He's good. He's good in God's standard. He's blameless amongst a generation of people that God is willing to wipe out and here it is, he walked 
with God. And so God reveals his, his plan to him. He says, I'm going to destroy the earth. But God saw something in Noah that was that he was a righteous and blameless man. And then Noah knew something about God. Why? Because he, he walked with God. And so this, this relationship begins where, where God looks down and he sees this man because of, of who he is and, and, and what he is like and how he compares to the rest of creation. And then you have this man who turns to his God and realizes, you are my God, and I know you, and so I'm going to listen to what you say because I have walked and I do walk with you. And so in this relationship, we're going to see in just a little bit something extreme and something completely ridiculous that takes place in the life of Noah. But let me just pause here for a second and ask you this question. When you hear stories of, let's say, David and Goliath or the Israelites and their faith as they crossed over the Jordan River, or Noah, you know the story. We haven't really got into it yet, but you know the story. When you hear these stories of extraordinary people doing amazing things, is there not something inside of you that just kind of feels like, I, I, I wouldn't want to do what they did. I mean, I wouldn't go to that extreme, but I'm inspired to do something like that. Or maybe not even these biblical stories of these biblical characters. When we see somebody do something out of the ordinary, something extraordinary, I'm telling you now, if you're anything like me, we go, I want a little bit of that. And I want to be a little bit like that. And we're inspired to do something more than just the ordinary and, and just to get by. See, this is what I know about you and this is what I know about me, that each and every single one of us are born with this desire to, to do more, to not just get by and not to just be fine, but to every now and again do something that is extraordinary. Something like Noah was just about to do. And you see, so God looks down and he sees Noah and he's pleased by Noah. God listens to him and Noah listens to God because He's got this relationship. And so here's how the story goes, and we're going to get into our antique here. So this is now the description of the ark. Verse 14. It says, I'm going to destroy the, destroy the earth, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat with pitch inside and out. This is how you ought to build the ark. The ark is to be 45 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark within 18 inches of the top. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. So God says, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy everything. I'm going to destroy mankind. But here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark. And so he gives them the, the blueprints and, and the plans of this, this giant boat that he's, he's going to build. And so to kind of put it into perspective for us, if you look at the length of the property of this church, it's, it's 90 meters. That's 90 meters long. And, and he said the ark is to be 140 meters long. So now take it from the end of this property all the way down to the fence, go another 50 meters. That's how long this ark was. It was to be 23 meters wide. So that's as wide as this, as this hall plus another three meters. And it was to be 13 and a half meters high. So if you go outside and you look at the, at the heights of this roof, it's even higher than that. This is a ship. Noah, I want you to build a ship, and this is how it's supposed to be. I want you to put rooms inside it, and, I, and I, want you to, I want you to finish it within 18 inches of the top and have an opening on the top. I want you to put a door on the side. I want you to finish it with pitch on the inside and the out, and I want you to get this thing ready for what we're about to do. Now, we also know, and from study and from hearing from what biblical scholars have to say about this, this time, taking into account the age of Noah, taking into account the age of his sons, 
and, and trying our best to, to piece the, the, put the pieces together, we can pretty confidently say that it would have taken Noah between 60 and 70 years to build the ark. So you think about that for a second. 60 to 70 years, well, a lot of people, that's, that's a lifetime to go ahead and spend it building an ark. Now, I want to show you some pictures of what this possibly could have looked like. This is, a, this is an ark that was built, this guy, apparently, this is an interpretation of it, in, Nether, in the Netherlands. Um, he's just this, like, independent guy who decided one day I'm going to build an ark. So he loaned lots of money from the bank and got some people to invest. And he came up with, with this. But it's, it's built to, to the exact dimensions that we have in the Bible. 140 meters long, 13 and a half meters high, 23 meters wide. It is huge. That's not a real giraffe, by the way. I know you're all thinking that would be awesome, but it's not. I think there's one more picture. You can just kind of see what it looks like. I mean, this is, it's, it's massive. The ark probably didn't look like that. I mean, it's got a pretty conventional roof on the top. Um, and this now is a, an ark that was, has been built in Hong Kong. Look at the scale of that thing. It's, it's massive. And I think there's one more picture, and you can actually see the animals. Those are real animals. Um, I'm joking, they're not. But this is actually like a resort in Hong Kong where you can go, you can stay the night, or you can go and have dinner, and you can hang out in the ark. But uh, I'd like to see it one day because I would like to be able to stand in front of something that's pretty close to what Noah had in his day and go, that's huge, that's massive. And Noah actually did it. Now we pause here for a second because so many people take these accounts that happen that we read of in the Bible and they say, you know what, it's really just a story to try and teach us something about God. You know, he didn't actually build the ark. I mean, and it wasn't actually as big as it was and it didn't wipe out all of mankind and it wasn't a global flood. But if we read our scriptures, and, and I don't know about you, but when I read this, I look and I go, I think he did. And I think there was a global flood. And I think one man named Noah was the only righteous person, blameless in his generation, that walked with God. I think this is real. I think this actually happened. And we believe it to be true. Then Noah built the ark. So I just want you to think about it for a second as to how real and how extreme this whole situation is. Maybe even as he's building day after day, probably with his sons, maybe even with people that he had hired. But let's read on in in verse 17. This is what God says, I'm, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you, you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will, will come to you and be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And here it is, verse 22. If we believe this to be true, we believe our Bibles to be true, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Think about it for a second. This is extreme. This is real life. God comes to Noah and says, I'm gonna, I want you to, to build an ark to escape from the flood that I'm going to put on the earth. You've got to think, what? What's going through the, the mind of Noah at this point? What is an ark? What is it even going to look like? What is this flood going to look like one day? Am I even going to be able to build this thing in time? What, what is it actually going to be like? Is God possibly maybe, maybe even playing some kind of cosmic joke on me? I mean, is this really something that I actually have to do? Or is this a test? And you can only imagine as, as he's going day after day and he's, 
He's thinking about the ark and, and looking at the plans and, and putting things together. He's going, I actually have to believe that this is actually what God actually wants me to do. And so he begins to, to build this ark. He did everything that the Lord said. He even had to go out and, and get the food that the animals would eat. Can you imagine? I mean, think of, the, think of the logistics of this. I've got lions and then I've got rabbits. And we can't put the lions and rabbits together for very obvious reasons. And what about elephants? I'm quite scared of elephants. And I don't know, did God maybe tame them? It doesn't say that. But he would have had to have then built rooms. And there would have been there were three levels, place for him to live. And then like the recreational center with like some pool and, and stuff. Because it was a long time. And then I, I don't know. But what happened? What, what was it actually like? He had to take all of this into account. What did Noah do before God told him to build an ark? I don't know. If he was a carpenter, that would have been excellent. If he was anything like me, he was in trouble. He would have been a carpenter by the end of it. But you've got to take all this into account. Then you understand that now all of a sudden, Noah realizes that I'm going to be on this ark, and, and God's going to flood the world, and everything is going to change. I'm going to be one of eight people left on the face of the earth. What if God forgets me? What if all of a sudden he decides, you know what, it's not even worth it, we're just going to start again. God made a covenant with him, and he had to believe that God would come through in the end. I don't know about you guys, but when I watch those like, movies and those series about the end of the world, apocalypse stuff, I always think, imagine, imagine being the last person, the last group of people on earth, how terrifying that would be. That was Noah. Noah knew he would be one of the only last few people remaining on earth. What would the new world look like? Would the, the floodwaters suddenly go away and then there would just be, like, I don't know, is there mud? Are there, are there going to be like mountains? Are things going to be different? Here's what he did know. The town that he lived in, the bakery down the road, the hardware store where he went to buy all the nails for the ark, all this stuff, it was gone. It would, it would be gone. Think about it. Your neighbors. Okay, so they weren't righteous people, but Noah was, so, so maybe he had a relationship with them. I, I don't know. What about the people that he invited over often for, for lunch on a Thursday? Uh, did, did they come and, and he would realize, they're going to be gone. Everything I know. The school that my kids go to, gone. And you're thinking, you go, well, Dan, that stuff didn't exist. Why not? 1,656 years after the creation of the earth, I'm pretty sure the stuff was in place. And it was all going to be gone. He had to give up his, his job. What did he do? I don't know. And so him and his family most probably Maybe even some people that he hired to bring in begin to build this ark. And so just think for a second about the courage. You know, there was obedience because it says he obeyed God just as he said. The obedience, the faithfulness to a faithful God. Think of, think of his, his, his ability to, to sit through the hardship of, of the reality of building this thing. I mean, 70 years of your life and building an ark is a long time. Granted, he did live like 900 years, but it's still, it's still a, a huge investment of your time to know what's coming and to be like, God, what is this going to be like? I believe you're, you're going to see, see us through, but, but he needed the faith and he needed the courage and he needed to be someone who was extraordinary. And how was he able to do that? Because he was someone who walked with God. And so... And so was Noah a righteous man because he built the ark? Or did God choose him because he was a righteous man before he built the ark? I think the answer is yes to both. Because when God looked down, he saw this blameless man, this righteous man. He said, I'm going to choose you. And then Noah turned around and he said, because I've walked with you and because I know what you're like, I'm going to do this extreme thing. And I'm going to go out and give my life, the rest of my life, 
to this project. Even think of this, that while he's building the ark, the New Testament talks about Noah as a herald or a preacher of righteousness. And so while he's building this ark, no doubt he is talking about his own life and what God has told him and the things that are to come. The, the, the New Testament also speaks about people having enough time to repent in the time of the flood. And so he would have told them, this is what's to come, this is what's to come, this is what's to come. And they all turned away. Imagine the despair knowing that none of your friends would make it. And yet every day you had to go and you had to build that ark. That none of, none of the people that you knew were ever going to make it. And every day you had to put plans together to gather the food for all of the animals. You know, growing up, I, I came to understand that, that people came and mocked Noah. You guys know that. People came and knocked Noah. No, they didn't. That didn't happen. Read your Bible and you will find there is no accounts of anyone mocking Noah while he built the ark. In my mind, it was always Noah up on the ladder with one of, with Ham. It was always Ham because he wasn't very bright. So he just got to hold the ladder. Ham got to hold the ladder. And Noah was building the, building the ark. And the people would then gather and they'd come and they'd go, ah, ha, ha. There's never rained before. By the way, the Bible didn't say it had never rained before. It's never rained before, and where's the rain coming from? And Noah went, oh, I'm just faithful to God. And the people came and said, why are you building this silly boat? You know, you're an idiot. It's nowhere in the Bible. In fact, what the New Testament actually speaks about is this. It, it takes a story of, of the flood, and it, and it talks about what Christ is, is going to do one day. It says, when Christ is to return, it will be like in the days of Noah and the flood, where it came where people had no idea what was going on. They were eating and they were drinking and they were carrying on merrily in their own sinful ways, and the flood came like that as if they had no idea. So the reality is, every day Noah would have gone out to build the ark. He was a herald of righteousness, so he would have spoken about what he was doing to the people around him, yet they chose to completely ignore the warning of God and the truth of what was about to come. So instead of Noah standing against the whole world and building this ark, he was pleading with them saying, will you hear and will you listen? And they said no. So think of the courage. Think of the obedience. Think of the faith. Think of this extraordinary life of someone who is able to go every single day after day, week after week, year after year, knowing no one is going to come with you except for the people that God had promised. That's your family. No one's going to come. No one's going to listen. No one's going to understand the, the 70 years of what your, love, what your life is all about. They're not going to get it. How is it that he was able to do that? How is it that he was able to be this extraordinary guy who did extraordinary things in the face of a world that hated and had forgotten God? It's because there was an extraordinary relationship that took part between Noah and God because he was a righteous, blameless man, and he knew God, and he walked with God. So I just want to read the end of the, the rest of this account as, uh, as we get into it. And just, go, just go straight through. We're going to look in uh, chapter, five, uh, chapter 7, verse, verse 6. And so knowing all of this, knowing all of this that we've, we, that we've spoken about, here is what it says, uh, chapter, chap, sorry, chapter 7, verse, verse 5. It says this, And Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. Noah and his sons and his wife and, and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the, the floodwaters. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds of, of, all, uh, of all creatures that moved along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the, seventh, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs from the deep 
deep broke forth, and the floodgates of heaven were open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of the three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every kind of animal according to its kind, all the livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moved along the ground according to, to its kind, um, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female, every, every living thing as God had commanded. Then the Lord shut him in. God closes the door. For 40 days, the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Thank goodness it worked. Uh, they rose greatly on the earth, and all, um, sorry, they rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. Everything that lived, everything that moved on the earth perished, birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam uh, over the earth, sorry, that swam over the earth, and all mankind, everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out, men and animals and creatures that moved along the ground, and the birds of the air were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark, and the flood waters, and the water, and the waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. Crazy. Try try read it without your your Bible picture book, you know, frame of, of reference, and that grid of which you see, you know, the coloring book of, of Noah and the ark. Imagine the reality of this. Goes into the ark, think about this, for a week, and it doesn't rain. And the floodwaters don't come. You sit there thinking, have these 70 years been for nothing? I have all these animals now, many pets, no rain. What am I going to do? And then suddenly it comes. And then the ark rises. And in that moment, imagine, I mean, if I'd built the thing, I'd be going, is it going to hold up? Are we going to have a Titanic moment here? Is something going to break? Is something going to fall off? I would be doing that. I'm telling you now. And Noah sits there and the ark rises. And I don't know how violently things were, were thrashing around, but he would have heard the screams and the cries of the people, of everyone that he knew, dying as the floodwaters came. And so he would have had the courage and he would have had the faith and he would have the ability to withstand just the, the years of no one listening to him and, and the, the ability to go out and build this incredible ark and, and to understand that he needs to remain, remain faithful to what God had asked him to do. He found himself in this ark, waiting for the waters to, to recede. And so we understand that... Um, Eventually they did. And Noah was in the ark for a year and 17 days, plus minus. Again, in my head, it was always kind of like Noah was in the ark for a week and then things were fine, or 40 days, 40 nights. No. Eventually the, the ark came down to rest on, on the mountain and for over, over a month, he sent out birds and the birds would come back. And most of you guys know the story. Eventually one did not come back and so he knew it was time to go out and then God let them out. And so, so Noah leaves the ark, and he walks out, and I think we have this verse up there. Sarah, just give us one more click. We don't, but in, ch in chapter 8, verse 20, this is what it says. Think about everything that's been going on. Think about all the craziness of this, this guy's life over the last couple of years. Think of the reality that the world has ended as he knew it, and he now had to begin it again. Verse 20, it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, 
And taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelt the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all the living creatures as I've done. So what's the first thing Noah does when he gets off that boat? He has a little worship celebration for his God who delivered him. And you even think of that, that's a crazy perspective to have on what's gone on. Anywhere within the last year and 17 days, Noah could have gone, God, you've forgotten me. And yes, now this boat finally landed on this mountain. But look, everything is gone. What is there for me now? But what does he do? He goes, everything is gone. What is there for me now? Except for to begin again with my family. Thank you for preserving me. Thank you for saving these animals. I'm going to worship you now in the midst of what's going on. So Noah lives this extraordinary life. One that when I read about, I can't help but think, I want a little piece of that man's faith and courage and and obedience. When you really think of the reality of the story, it brings it home that this man had to be an extraordinary guy. And when I think about the the extraordinary life and and what it is that that we, we get to do in this lifetime as Christians, you understand this, that we believe we have the Holy Spirit living within us and we have access to the same God that was able to preserve the ark as the entire earth was, was covered. And then not, not only that, he then let the ark come down and then populated the earth all over again. I mean, this, this, is, this is the same God. The same God that gave Noah the faith, the courage, the obedience, the perseverance to do what he did is the same God that lives within us. And so I look at this and I go, There's, there needs to be something extraordinary about people who call themselves Christians. And even if you don't call yourself Christian, I know inside of you there is that little bit that goes, I want to be a little bit more today. I, I, want, I want to do a little bit, I want to be a little bit better. That's why we read the self-help books, and that's why we watch the feel-good movies. And that's why when your kid is in the swimming gala and he finishes in second, you, you don't go, that's okay, because I raised you to be ordinary, and I raised you to blend into the background. In fact, come forth so you don't even get on the podium next time. That's what I think would be better. No one wakes up in the morning, goes to the mirror and goes, today, be ordinary. All right, let's go. And goes out into their day and carries on. No one goes to their husband and wife and goes, you know, I married you because you're just plain and you're, just don't do this. You're plain and you're ordinary and uh, pretty much we're everyone, like everyone else that I saw. And so I figured, hey, we should get married. No. Why do we want each other to be the best that each other's can be? Why do we want to be the best that we can be? It's built within us. And as believers, as people who believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins and then said, I want you to live and walk in a different way and I want you to live extraordinary lives, we go, there has to be something different about the lives that we live. And we have the ability to be just like Noah and do something extraordinary with with our lives. So I want you to think about this for a second. People who walk with God find it easier or more natural to obey what he says and trust him in what he says, have the faith to to do what he asks us to do. It's kind of like a a child who has a a really good relationship with his parents. His parent says, we're going to go and we're going to do this. There's no questioning. It's like, all right, Dad, I'm going to do that. All right, Mom, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to do it. And there's this relationship that's there. And so we, we know what that's like. And so for Noah... When God came to him, he says, I'm going to destroy the earth. And by the way, I want you to build this boat. It's crazy big. No, I went, okay. 
I'm going to destroy the world. I'm going to preserve you and your family when I believe you. And then when he delivered him out of all of it, he went, thank you, God, for who you are and for what you did. And I don't know if you picked it up at the end there, though. It said, God said he'll never destroy the earth again, even though the inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. In other words, we pretty much live in the same type of world that Noah lived back then. But God hasn't wiped us out yet because he said he's not going to. But there's coming a day where Christ is going to return. And those who are found righteous, those who are found walking with God, we get to enjoy an inheritance forever with our Savior and glory. So imagine if every day we woke up and we try to have a kind of a Noah mindset. And we thought about things like this. What if we asked ourselves this question as many times as we could, as many times a day as, as we could, to try and put ourselves into to Noah's shoes or sandals or gumboots, whatever he wore. Ian was really upset that he was wearing standard clothes. But try and put ourselves into Noah's situation and ask ourselves this question. Am I right with God? And am I right with God? Here's what I mean by that. Asking ourselves a question, am I right with God? Am I okay with God? Are me and God okay? Because that's where it begins. We can't hope to live an extraordinary life based on who God is and what he is able to do through us if we haven't first resolved this first part where we said, am I right with God? Are me and God okay? When he looks at me, does he go, you are my child and I love you and I see you doing everything you can to be right with me, to do good in my eyes. And so for some of us, we can't even do any of it until we've gone, God, what is it that I need to do to be made right in your sight? And it's easy because God sent his son to die on the cross for you and for me so that when we put our faith and trust in that, we can be made right with him. And then we spend our lives doing good in the sight of God because he knows what's best for us. He knew what was best for, for Noah. To ask ourselves, am I right with God? And then to ask ourselves a question, am I right with God? Am I walking right with God? Would it seem natural for me to be walking down the beach with a good friend or my husband or my wife and be able to have a conversation with them and talk about the things that we spoke about last week and have this good relationship with them? Would it be as natural as, as that is, as if we were to walk down the beach with only one set of footprints but next to our Heavenly Father, as if we were right with Him, as if we could talk to Him, as if He actually were there because He is. And we had a relationship with Him where we could say, remember how I spoke about this last week and I was struggling with this? Well, this is what has happened this week. And He goes, I know, because you've been walking with me. So ask yourselves a question, am I right with God? And I think sometimes we think we can separate the two. I think we can sometimes say to ourselves, well, I'm right with God because I'm a Christian and I do these good things. But then we forget that like Noah, we need to be right with him, walking with him, as if we could put our, our arms around him in no irreverent way at all. But he says he's our heavenly father, and so this is something I think he'd like to do with us. And sometimes I think we say, well, I'm okay with God. Look, I walk with him. But then when we look at our lives, there's no 
righteousness that's part of us. We don't do good in the eyes of God. And when God looks down at us, does he see blameless people? None of us can be perfect. But when God saw Noah, he saw someone that was right with God. He saw someone that was right with him all along. And so if God were to look down on our lives now and see where we are right now, I'm telling you now, it's almost like it must be a flashback from thousands of years ago when he promised to to flood the earth because people were evil and people were wicked. The only inclination of man's heart was evil all the time. And God says, nothing has actually changed now. And I see billions of people on earth. But when I look down and when I, when I think, who am I going to choose to do something extraordinary? Something like my servant Noah. Who is he going to choose? He's going to choose those who are righteous amongst a depraved and a crooked generation and those who walk with him. And then the question would be, would we choose to then turn around and go, like Noah, I'm going to do it. You know why? Because I do. I walk with you and I know what you're like and I trust you and I obey you. So let's do this thing together. People will do extraordinary things, and we will hear extraordinary things of of the things that people do for as long as we're listening, for as long as we're on the internet, for as long as we watch TV, for as long as we read our Bibles, we're going to see incredible things happen in the lives of people. We're going to even see God choose to, to use people to do incredible things. But the question is this. Are you willing to ask yourself, am I right with God? Do I even have a relationship with God? And am I right with God? Am I walking with Him? So that one day, He may choose to ask me to do something incredible like He chose Noah. And Noah responded. And every day, to ask myself the question, what, is, what would an extraordinary person do today? Because I believe God gives me the ability to do that. If I'm right with Him, and if I'm right with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you did send your son to, to die on the cross so that we could be made right with you. But Father, I pray that you would be working in our hearts and in our lives to make us not only desire to do to good in, in your eyes and, and be righteous, blameless people in such a, a sinful and hurting world, but that, God, you would give us the reality of, of what it must have been like for Noah to actually walk alongside you. And God, these things would come together and we'd understand that we are able to even do things that were incredible like, like Noah. So, God, when, when there are times where we need the courage and, and the faith and the obedience and the perseverance under trial and hardship, that, God, we would first ask ourselves, how are things going with me and with you? Am I right with you? Am I right with you? Am I walking with you? So that, God, when, when you choose us, or when, God, when you, you ask us to do something, the very first thing that we would choose to do would be to obey. And maybe even be extraordinary, like Noah was, because he was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And he walked with you. So help us to walk with you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.